This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Well, good morning. Um, thank you, Zach. I do, do you want to just echo Zach and welcome you to worship with us today. My name is Jeff Heiser. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. And we are in the middle of a sermon series on the Psalms. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 37, which you can find in your Sunday worship guide there on our website. One of the things that we've been praying here for, that we've been praying for here at Trinity is that God will use the crisis that we're going through right now to bring people to himself, to awaken their need for him and drive people into the faith. And this is something that often happens, that there are certain pressure points in people's lives that cause them to, um, to go to church maybe for the first time or return to the church, if, as the case may be. Um, an example, oftentimes when people have children or when they get married, they'll, they'll go back to church to, to um, revisit their faith. And, and you know, God uses um, lots of different things, and like, we don't want to be cynical about that. And one of the biggest things that God uses is tragedy. Um, he uses hardship. But if you've spent more, uh, much time at the church, you'll, you will have seen that although um, some people that turn to God when life is difficult, occasionally, not thankfully not all the time, but sometimes, they'll only stick around for a couple of months. And there's a lot of reasons for this, but one is that very often they think that God is going to be a quick fix to our to suffering, a quick fix to our problems, a quick fix to our pain, and when he's not, when he doesn't just fix their life immediately, they bail out. They don't want any more of it. You know, they, they read promises like Jesus, or Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And people come, and they're like, hey, I'm, I'm worn out. My, my pain is just this burden on me, and I need the rest. Give me the rest. And when it doesn't happen immediately, when life is still hard, in fact, you know, sometimes... Oftentimes, for Christians throughout the ages, it's when they become Christians that life gets hard. When that happens, they're not interested. Now, even if you don't relate to something like that directly, all of us have experienced the feeling that the world is not right, and that it doesn't seem to be getting any better, and God seems to not be doing anything about it. Like, and how, how do you react to that feeling? How do you react to those, that, that um, yeah, that feeling of, hopelessness almost. What do you do? What do you do when God just asks you to wait and wait in uncertainty and wait in messiness and pain at times? You know, waiting is its own form of suffering. How do we wait for God in the brokenness of this world? When I was a kid, um, my mom would sometimes take me and my siblings to the mall, back when people shopped at malls that weren't called Plaza. Um, and, and this funny thing that happened to me, whenever I would walk into, J, there was something about J.C. Penney's, and I'd like walk into J.C. Penney's particularly, and my legs would just, oh, turn to jello, and I would just be so, like, J.C. Penney was just so exhausting, I like, it was impossible to move, I couldn't handle it. Well, I think in our modern world of like two-day shipping, well, ideally at least, but two-day shipping and like instant information, to instant answers to every question we can possibly ask and 
um, on our phones and computers and everything, there's nothing that makes our legs turn to jello quite like waiting. Like, there's nothing that feels more exhausting and more, makes life feel more impossible, like we can't go on than when we have to wait and wait for God. But here's the thing, Psalm 37 calls us to do just that. You know, David, he's the author of this psalm. He looks at the world around him and it is not right. It is broken. It is messed up. Evil people are getting rich, right? It seems like there's no justice in the world, but David doesn't despair. Instead, he's able to testify to God's goodness in the midst of his waiting, Even his waiting becomes an opportunity for him to testify to who God is. And I think that is what Psalm 37 um, can teach us today, is how to testify, how to believe and live our lives as if um, believing in the goodness of God, even when life is really hard and we have to sit in that hardness and we don't see a solution right away. Well, let's go ahead and turn to our passage. We're going to be reading Psalm 37. Now, Psalm 37 is 40 verses long. And we're going to only, so we're only going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. So Psalm 37, starting in verse 1. Hear now the reading of God's word. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your justice as the light and your, uh, your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is God's good word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will abide forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Amen. My outline this morning is actually going to be pretty simple. We're going to ask ask two questions of this text. And these questions are actually... Um, You're going to want to put these questions in your back pocket because they're actually a really helpful tool to understand any passage of scripture. So the, the two questions are, the first is, what does this passage teach us about ourselves, about us who need to be saved? And the second question is, what does this passage teach us about God who does the saving? What does this passage teach us about us? And what does this passage teach us about God? So let's start there um, with that first question. What does this passage teach us about us, we who need to be saved. You know, Cecilia always laughs at me because I have a whole lot of really random sayings that I'll just pull out of nowhere. It seems like I don't know where I get them, but um, actually, we're going to, I think that you probably know this saying. Have you guys, do you guys know the saying um, that the proof of the pudding is in the eating? 
The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Do you know that saying? Basically, it means that, um, that you don't know whether or not something is true until it's been tested and shown to be true or good or whatever it is. Now, I just read this memoir of a Jewish woman who experienced um, but survived the, uh, not the concentration camps of Nazi Germany, including she was at Auschwitz. And she came back to her hometown of Prague after the war. And she and her husband um, got really involved in the communist movement in the Czech Republic where they're from. And of course, this happened in the, in the Soviet bloc, that a, a reign of terror set in. And um, what happened to so many people happened to her husband. Although he was super involved in the Communist Party, he was arrested on trumped-up charges. He was tortured into confessing a crime that he did not commit, and he was put on show tri- a show trial and hanged, although he was innocent. And so this woman who has had her family killed by Nazi Germany and her husband killed by the communists, she just is kind of reflecting in disbelief on like, her, her and her husband's and in, in her country's infatuation with communism. This is what she says. She says, how could we have been so credulous, so ignorant? It seems that once you decide to believe, your faith becomes more precious than truth more real than reality. Your faith becomes more precious than truth, more real than reality. What she's saying is the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And guess what? We, the the Czech people ate the pudding of communism and it was bad, but they just kept eating and eating and eating, like trying to convince themselves that it was good until it killed them. And she's saying like, we were not able to look at reality with our eyes wide open. But do you know that like a lot of people accuse Christians of doing that same thing? I mean, we, we claim to serve a God that's all powerful. But look around you. I mean, you know, there's a virus taking over the world for goodness sakes. We have hurricanes, earthquakes. We have innocent children die. Wicked people win all the time. Like how can you look at those things and say that God is faithful how can you even say that? Isn't the proof of the pudding in the, evening, in the eating? And hasn't God been tested, tried, and found wanting? Hasn't he? You know, what's really interesting about the Bible is that it can look at the hardship of life with eyes wide open. It can recognize it and call it out. But it doesn't actually think that we should give up on God. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't minimize pain, right? It doesn't offer a quick fix even. It doesn't promise that you're going to be healed of all your pains in this life. It doesn't. And Psalm 37 says, yeah, life is hard. Life is tough. Like, it doesn't make sense all the time. Bad people and bad things win sometimes. They do. It seems like it at least, right? And the Bible knows that you and I, we long for justice. We long for the world to be righted. We long for the sickness of the world in our hearts and even our children's hearts, right? We long for it to be healed and we wait and we wait and we wait. And that waiting feels like suffering and we wait some more. And what do we do? Look at verse one there. 
says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. Or verse 8 says, refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. This language of like fretting, envy, anger, bidding, these things. If we could, what is all that? Well, it's despair. It's despair. Psalm 37 says like, listen, you are going to be, you're going to look at the hardship of life and you're going to be tempted to despair, to give up hope. You're going to be tempted to bail on God because he doesn't seem to be giving you what you need. But Psalm 37 says, listen, hang on, hold up on the despair. Don't go there just yet. Don't give up on God just yet. And David is able to say that because he actually believes something about God that keeps him from giving up in despair. So what this psalm tells us about ourselves is that, yeah, listen, we're gonna, life is not going to be fixed all the time. And when we see that and interact with that, we're going to be tempted to give in despair, to despair. But then the psalm actually tells us something about God. God who looks at that and he offers a solution. He longs to save his people. So, what's our, so our second question is, what does this psalm say about God? What does this passage say about God? Well, let's start by looking at verse 5. This is what he says. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will act. You know, there's something that Christians throughout the ages have always believed and people of God have always believed. The Bible is so clear in this that God is the primary actor in history. Now, theologians have a term for this. They call it God's providence. And providence is just this idea that God is the primary actor in history. Nothing happens that is outside of his purview. Nothing happens that's outside of his knowledge and and control and and forethought and plans. And what that means is that God is not like you and I. He is much, much bigger than you and I. He is something much bigger. There's something much bigger going on. He can see much, much more than you and I can. And what this psalm makes clear in that in his providence, in his, um, in his acting, he is a God who will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. And this is what that means, is that God will not be overridden. He won't be brushed aside. He, won't, he will not lose. And God looks at the pain of this world. He looks at the wickedness of this world, and he takes personal offense, and he will not let it go unchecked. This is why the psalmist can say, right? They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Or verse 9, he says, the evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. Evil will not win. God will. He is acting. And so the, the psalmist looks at, at who he believes God to be. He looks at God's providence, and he, and he says, I don't need to despair in the midst of difficulty. Because I know who God is, and I know that he's in charge, and I know, how he's, I know that he's acting, and that he is going about the business of making things right, even if I can't see it right now. How 
can you and I wait in just the difficulty of this world without despairing? I don't know um, if this is your experience, but one of the things that Cecilia, my wife, and I said in the early days of lockdown was, we, just, we said, like, if we just knew when it, would, it was going to end, then, like, it would help us to cope with the isolation and the frustration and the everything else that was going on as we were being told to stay home. Like, if we just had some certainty about the end, then we could cope with the now. We could deal with the now. We could live in the now. Have you ever felt like that? Like, yeah. Like, the, the uncertainty almost makes waiting unbearable. Well, what the psalmist is saying is that there is... you. There is absolute certainty about the end. Now, he doesn't promise that it's all going to get better right now, but what he does promise is that God will call to account the wickedness and pain of this world. That is guaranteed based on God's character. That's who God is. That's what he's doing. And if you believe that, that is actually going to allow you to experience to experience. Or, you, or see injustice or um, heartache or sickness or death, to experience those things with a heavy heart and to grieve them and to, and to enter into that pain and sadness, but to not go to despair and to hopelessness and to giving up on God. In fact, you know, Christians, we're actually called to lean into the pain of this world. We're called to fight for justice. We're called to like heal the sick. We're called to offer hope to those who are hopeless, to love the hated. Like we are called to enter into those things. And we can do that because even if we don't see immediate results, we believe in a God who's working and God, a God who will make things right. And we don't give, we enter into those things without despair. Without, give, you know, without giving up, without giving up hope, because we believe that God is going to set things right in his own time. Now, this is just an assumption of David. He, like, he believes that this is who God is. And he calls you and I to believe the same thing. And it's really important that we do, because, um, because if we don't, it's going to be really hard for us to do this next part because Psalm 37 doesn't just tell us like what road not to go down. Despair. Like don't go down the road of despair. It actually offers us and calls us into a way forward. Okay? Because the psalmist, he wants you and I in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of painful waiting and uncertainty when the world doesn't make sense, He wants us to actually testify to God's goodness while we wait. Look look, um, again at your passage in verses 3 through 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. What he's saying is that the way that you live your life during difficulty is a testimony to who you believe God to be. 
So David says, trust in the Lord. Why? Well, because God is trustworthy no matter the circumstances in good times and bad times. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. God is generous with himself. Commit your way to the Lord. God is faithful no matter the circumstances. He is is faithful in good and bad times. He is faithful. He will bring forth your righteousness. God is just, and he will bring forth justice in the end. You see, David's not just saying, hey, don't despair. He's actually saying, listen, in difficulty, you have an opportunity an opportunity to declare God's goodness to the world, to be a light in the midst of pain. I'm going to actually, I want to give you an illustration of what this looks like. This is a, do you guys remember um, that church in China that we were praying for a few months ago? Um, Their pastor was arrested um, and thrown into prison because he was preaching the gospel. And soon after his arrest, his church published a letter that he had written in anticipation of that day. Like, he knew that he was going to be arrested. And so he wrote a letter to be published in the event that that happened, which, of course, it did. And this is what the letter said. He said, while he's in prison, he says, if this regime is one day overthrown by God, the communist regime, he's talking of China, if this regime is one day overthrown by God, it will be for no other reason than God's righteous punishment and revenge for this evil. Right? He's like, God will be just. He will. But then he says this, when I think of this, the Lord fills me with natural compassion and grief towards those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me that he would grant me patience and wisdom that I might take the gospel to them. Because he believes in God's justice, it opens him up to actually be a light to even his guards, even the people that are arresting him. He says, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the eternal God. He is my king and the king of the whole earth. I am his servant and I am in prison for this. I will resist in meekness Those who resist God, he does not despair. He takes hope in the justice of God, even as he's being actively persecuted. He is in jail right now. And yet he longs in his prison cell to be a light and a testimony to God's goodness, even in the midst of of persecution. Now, how powerful is that man's testimony to the character of God? He says, God is good even though I am persecuted. Even though though it, it doesn't seem to make sense, God is good and he will be good to me. That is what the psalmist David is calling us to. That's what he longs for us, um, how he longs for us to interact with suffering and pain. But I want to return to that idea that I mentioned a little bit earlier. You know, some people accuse Christians of living their lives with their eyes closed. And just some, you know, pie-in-the-sky promise that someday, you know, things will be made right. 
I mean, right? I mean, look at the world around us. We're, I mean, viruses, you know, um, families, countries falling apart. Racism is rampant, it seems. We're waiting, and, and we're, Christians are just sitting here waiting for some utopian future based on some promise that God, who apparently can't seem to do anything, you know, made to us long ago. Like, aren't Christians blind? And to that, I would say that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You see, in Jesus Christ, we've actually already tasted it. In Jesus Christ, the future promises of God are tasted in the present. You know, a lot of people think that Jesus went around healing people and forgiving sins because he was just a really sweet guy and he was compassionate. He certainly was. He definitely was those things, but Jesus understood the things that he did on earth as bringing the future into the present. And God promised his people long ago that one day he would heal every sick and broken body, that he would mend every hurting heart, that he would wipe away every tear, that he would forgive the sins of his people. And Jesus' ministry was about bringing that promise into the present. You can taste and see that the Lord is good because of what Jesus has done, what he did in his ministry on this earth. Like we have already tasted it and it is good. Jesus died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. He has already won. And he calls us to follow him. Look again at our, at, our, at, our, um, at our passage, verse 11. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Do you know Jesus quoted this psalm in his ministry? He said, blessed are the meek. Now meek are not, you know, meek are not just like passive, timid people. Meek are, the meek are people that live their lives in submission to God, who, as, as the psalmist says, who befriend faithfulness, whose lives are testimony to the goodness and faithfulness of God no matter the circumstances. And, and what does Jesus say? He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those who give themselves to God, who testify and trust in his goodness, who give themselves to him in faith, they will, in the long run, as certain as, it, as we are that Jesus lived and died and rose again from the dead, as certain as that is, we believe that, he, that we will receive from God every blessing that his goodness and faithfulness could ever bestow, could possibly bestow on his people. Let's declare God's goodness and faithfulness to this world. Amen. Now, usually during this time, we'd celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we can't because we're at home. But we're, we're looking forward to hopefully next month being back in person celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Um, so what, but what we've been doing during um, our quarantine, during our social distancing and online services, we've just been taking a moment to reflect on the service, to, to reflect on the service, reflect on God's word, to think about um, how it applies to our lives and to, and to pray that our hearts would be open to his spirit. Would you do that for a couple minutes?